You are listening to The Tish with Rabbi Michael Knopf, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Rabbi Michael Knopf, please visit MikeKnopf.com. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Okay, so uh, we've been uh, uh, reading uh, Chancellor Arnold Eisen's uh, essay, Make Some Noise in Synagogue, uh, and uh, we're going to uh, discuss, we're going to have a conversation about, uh, uh, about whether or not we agree with it, what it means to us, and what it, uh, what it says to us about our own uh, prayer life. So, but first, let me just, I just want to make sure we're all on the same page. Can, can we just summarize very quickly what his argument is? Let your feelings show. Let your feelings show. Good, right? That's so the, short. The, that's the shorthand of it, right? The, the argument, I think, is um, that, uh, that traditional Jewish prayer has always been kind of a boisterous affair, right? That, uh, that, that it, there's been noise in it, there's been emotion in it, there's been feelings in it, there's been a hum of other people uh, davening and murmuring during prayer. Uh, and sometime around, this is I think his argument, sometime around the 19th century in, um, in uh, Western Europe and in, and in the United States, um, many Jews consciously moved away from that style of prayer, adopting a more uh, Protestant aesthetic. Uh, in it, for a couple of reasons, one um, uh, to uh, um, the, the, this was the opening of uh, of uh, the Jewish community um, to the non-Jewish world, right? The process of a process of emancipation, right? And Jews were consciously trying to uh, to uh, be more like Germans, be more like Frenchmen, be more like the other people around them. Um, so that's the first, and the second, and this is especially true in the United States. Um, that uh, Jews wanted to seem less like like immigrants, right? And so, uh, so uh, many Jews. Uh, this is true of my synagogue uh, in Atlanta. Um, growing up, uh, my synagogue in Atlanta was originally uh, 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 founded by um, by uh, Russian um, uh, immigrants uh, in in Atlanta. Um, but eventually um, was uh, was sort of swallowed by uh, German immigrants, uh, by the, or the children of German immigrants to Atlanta, and became a uh, and consciously moved away from uh, the kind of uh, um, you know shtetl-like Hamish, noisy, uh, boisterous sort of uh, um, affair that davening was in the context of uh, of, uh, of uh, Orthodox Russian immigrants. Um, and became much more uh, like a, a a large Southern Baptist or Protestant uh, um, uh, congregation, right? Um, so that I think is true of a lot of American and European uh, uh, congregations. But if you go to uh, synagogues in the Orthodox world, and especially in Hasidic communities, that's not what you find, right? You don't find people sitting quietly in pews with with books in their hand and and back straight, right? You find people swaying and moving and dancing and clapping and 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 chanting and murmuring and uh, and then like saying a couple words loudly here but saying them quietly here right you see a lot more uh, noise happening so uh, so I think that uh, part of his argument is also historical right that there was a conscious move away from that kind of davening at some point and we should move back to re- reclaim our heritage as it were um, so the question that I, I, I don't yeah. want to get off track but Go was for it. it the Hasidic what you've just described, somewhat of a response to a, a more formal kind of davening. So it's so it's true. Um, 
but not totally, right? The the uh, the the kind of davening that uh, the Hasidic Jews were um, the Hasidic movement added more ecstasy into prayer, but it was more ecstasy, right? It wasn't it wasn't operating from a baseline of everybody sit quietly and do nothing while the Chazan prays. Um, it was, you know, the, the, the noise was louder, but it was a difference, I think, of degree more than kind. Um, and the other major departure in Hasidic Judaism was the emphasis on the, on the lay person uh, more than the learned, right? So, um, and, and also um, on um, non-traditional forms of, of prayer and expression. Right, so, um, so there you get the stories of you know uh, of the shepherd boy who uh, who has a prayer you know uh, you know God you know that I love you and uh, and that uh, um, if I if you wanted me to take care of your sheep I wouldn't ask you for any money because I love you so much and then the learned scholar comes to the shepherd boy and says you know fool don't pray that way so he teaches him how to daven the Shema and daven the Amida and uh, and and then sends him on his way. The shepherd boy forgets how to daven the way the learned guy tells him, and uh, and then he also doesn't daven the way he used to daven because the shep- the learned guy tells him not to daven that way. Uh, and so then the God appears to the learned man in dreams and says, go back and tell the shepherd boy to daven the way he used to because you robbed me of one of my most precious blessings. Right? That's the Hasidic ethos, is that the way we should daven is to say what's in our hearts to God. So, so, um, so that, I think, is, uh, is, is, a, is a difference of direction of the noise in prayer. Right? But it's not necessarily a difference of, of the aesthetic totally, um, I think. Um, so, so I think part of what he's arguing is a historical argument in that sense, and 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 part of it is uh, is a spiritual argument, right? That uh, that prayer should be an emotional experience, should be an emotional exercise, and therefore, in uh, in prayer settings in synagogue, we should actively try to make it more emotional. Your thoughts? In fitting with this article, when we finished. Um happening today, I remarked to Larry that this was a lively group today. And you see the difference. Some mornings the person is leading and nothing happens, but this morning you could tell that there were a lot of people adopting the Lord. They're good leaders today. <laughs> now the leader is helped. The leader is helped a lot by the response. You look there, your nose in a book, and you don't know what's going on around you. The only thing you have is the auditory response. Unless people start stamping their feet. But um, it makes a big difference. Uh, at least, I think. Uh, in terms of the thrust of the article, it's focus. How do you focus? You want to focus and... If you know what you're reading, you focus on what you're reading, and then your emotion comes out. If you don't know what the Hebrew means, then you either get the musical sense of the Hebrew by the rhythm, or you start reading the English. Now, what happens, uh, the conservative movement uh, is, is, is concert. You're coming to a, a concert by the Chazan, and it's all orchestrated. Well, if that helps you focus, that's the way you go. You go with the reform the same way, a concert. If you focus by reading and personal, which is the way I prefer, then you go a different route. But 
I mean, like, what I thought when I read this thing was the Rocky Horror Show. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's a cult thing, and if you go to the Midnight Show, I don't even know if they do it anymore, but there's another movie now that fits the bill. The uh, Total chaos, but the chaos is focused on the movie. When something happens at a particular point, people throw rolls of toilet paper. I mean, it's uh, so... But. Uh, at so, what point in the service should we throw rolls of that's my yeah. I'm sorry, I was just going to say that I think in the conservative movement we really get it right at Ramah because um, the kids are in such a natural environment and they're allowed to sort of relax and there's a vulnerability that allows for an openness for that kind of spiritual renewal that you, you would get from what you would call active tefillah and whatever barriers there might be to opening yourself to a different awareness and gratefulness. It's there. It's a beautiful thing. Amazing. So um, I appreciate you bringing that up, and I have a couple of... I want to just like push it a little bit because uh, um, I think that the comment is is, is uh, excellent and worthy, but I also want to problematize it, maybe. Um, so one of the challenges that I had with this is... Um, is um, can this model happen in a place where the uh, where the general knowledge level of the people sitting in the pews is not particularly high, right? So people don't know how to daven or what to say. They are more likely to sit in the pews and sort of just kind of either read or tune out or sit quietly because they want to listen to the. Can, can, can I add a thought to that yeah, because yeah. the mocks are we're using now somewhat encourages that by mm -hmm. all that great stuff on the columns on the side. All the stuff to read, yeah, yeah. right. So, um, so it's a good point, right? And um, and so I, I, I don't, I, I'm not sure what to, I'm not sure what to do with that, right? Is that is, is that inherently problematic? Are we encouraging that behavior, right? If we uh, had a more noisy atmosphere, would it encourage people to participate more, um, even if they don't really know what's going on? That's the first thing. And the second thing about Rama, I love Rama, and uh, and in LA, the the shul that I went to had a very Rama style. Um, uh, Ethos, or people wore sandals and shorts to, to shul, whatever, and I and I love it. It was great, but I but there were times where I felt like um, like some of the um, grandeur and majesty of God. You know, there are times where I want a high church God, right? And so if I'm in a uh, high church in quotes, right? Um, not like a Christian God, but I but a a, a, a more a more Elevated, right? And I think Davkan, especially on the high holidays, there are many moments in which that seems uh, like really like the God that I that I wanted that or that I need at that moment. Um, and so I wonder if there is something lost in uh, the Ramah prayer experience, you know, where it's a totally um, uh, imminent experience of God and not uh, not ex not at all a transcendent experience of God. I don't know. Well, we can't try. Go ahead. I was just going to say that, that, that the um, I agree in part with Larry, and Larry has, has been a big mover in trying to get more people out to, to minions and, and, and such, and I, I recognize that. Um, that, you know, you hear people talk, I, I just recently I've heard Jewish people talk about, oh, you have to go to this service, Christian service, black church, you know, it's lively, the whole place rocks. Everybody loves it, right? 
So it, it, it's the fallacy, to some extent, if you're trying to apply this article to the Harzion experience, the fallacy is it assumes that, that everybody is praying silent. And this is what you said, really, a version of what you said. It assumes everybody is praying silently, but in a Protestant model. Mm-hmm. And the fact is that probably what you see is, is a lot of disconnectedness rather than, okay, I'm being into myself and I'm praying quietly and I'm, I'm, afraid, I'm, not, I'm afraid to show my feelings, I think you, people, you see people who don't have any feelings about that. And I don't think mm-hmm. that's true on um, some other uh, services. I don't necessarily agree with Larry. My disagreement is about the, the, the concert model. But if you're talking about daily minions and stuff and you're talking uh, about you know, to some extent, you do want to drag people. I mean, people want to express their feelings. This is this is this is not a society. This is not a country. At least, this is not a Jewish culture where, where people are are afraid to express their feelings. I don't think that's the issue. I think the the point the point is it, it's you got to get the bridge. That's that's what I'm saying. You, you don't think you don't think that there's a, any degree to which you you can definitely uh, add a thought. Just give me one second. You think there's a degree to which people. Um, People actually are intimidated to uh, give open expressions of their feelings. They don't want to look foolish in front of a, of a crowd, I, right? I Everybody. really, I, I don't, I don't think that's the major thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know that one of the things Larry has done when Larry reads services is, is Larry tries to interject some English, right? Uh, at least in the morning meetings, right? And, and I, I personally feel that that's very helpful. I really do. I think it's 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 kind of important, and I think the. the Whatever it is, and I don't know what the trick is, but whatever it is, to, to, it's the connectedness that's the problem, I think. It's not people sitting there, sitting on their... I mean, that's why you have 12 people at the Minion. It's not people, you know, it, it, it's... it's, it's uh, if the concern... I mean, the Minions are fine for the people who come, by and large. It, it, it's the people who don't come. And, and, and that's, the, that's the concern for the synagogue, is that it's... it's it's the people who are not, you know, it's like the dog who didn't bark. It's the people who are not in the seats. That's the concern. Why can't you do a little bit of both? Mm. So that way the people that want to, like, express their feelings want to get into a can, but also the people that don't can also do their thing. That's a good point. Very similarly, I think that in Ramah, you have a controlled environment. and You have modeling on, on the part of of leaders and counselors and all, and um, it, it's much easier to, to structure an experience and get people to sort of understand what the ethos is. I think to, today in the typical conservative congregation, um, we, we we have a lot of things going on, but but it's not necessarily clear what um, is expected of people um, at all times and. It's varying. It's varying messages at different times. It also at different times of the year, perhaps. Um, on the on the other hand, right? Um, you could also you, you could make the, the same argument, but with a slightly different direction, which is to say that uh, that the creation of the atmosphere at uh, at, at Ramah, for example. Um, uh, you know, we we do we do things. We also consciously create a certain kind of atmosphere here, right? So, there, so for example, the you know the fact that that uh, that the campers lead the davening um, at Ramah and not professionals or the counselors, right? Is it can be more inviting of 
participation because it's like it's like uh, what Don McLean said about Bob Dylan, right? It's the voice that came from you and me, right? And uh, and the um, same thing with uh, with with having your peer lead services, it can invite you to participate more. And then if you have possibly professional leading services, you feel like well, my job is now to listen to the professional because they know what they're doing, and I don't. So that's just one thing that, and the other is. Um, um, it, that's true of the rabbis too, right? Um, you know, and uh, you know, so the 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 the, the quote-unquote professionals at Ramah, right, uh, sit with the campers, right? Um, they uh, um, uh, they don't usually give. Uh, they aren't. They're they're always the ones that are giving the debris Torah or the teaching, right? So there's there's the the, the professionalization of the leadership um, uh, reinforces a, a message that uh, that the people in the pews, their job is to sit there and let the professionals do the the job right. right? Um, I, it can be, I think. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that I think that we have done that to, to some extent. That you're absolutely you're absolutely right. There is sometimes though the reaction of when it could be. Selected from amongst the peer group, somebody who really has the talent, ability, the the, the more pleasing voice uh, to lead it well, um, or the professional who who gives the Dvar Torah, and it's something ah, right, you know, that's something a little bit. It, it's maybe a little bit more elevated. It's a little bit more. So obviously, we we faced that here at the, when when many many years ago we we created the the minion in the round. It was that it was that feeling that. Um, wanted to give opportunities for, and we, we struggle with um, the balance of, you know, can that model come into the main sanctuary? Um, sure. Uh, I think one characteristic of the Ramah model, if you will, is a learning environment, and the kids just learn from each other, from the nature that God has created, and it's somehow it's easy to learn in that atmosphere. And I think we've tried to do that with the learning minyanim that we've had here in the Shabbat services. So I think we're on the right track. We just have to do maybe more of it and also make some allowance for people to express themselves in a way that is comfortable for them. He doesn't get into it here, but it's something I know I've talked about with the canters. The physical layout that we have, looking at the back of people's heads, does not, if, if you assume this is what you want, it doesn't encourage it at all, for me. That's another reason, minion in the round, I think, because physically it's set up in a, in a horseshoe shape, and you're looking at other people and interacting with them at the same time as you do. And that's, as I, I think, is more what the setup tries to be at Ramah than necessarily just an auditorium style. Right. So you feel like when you when you can see other people's faces and you see them singing, you're more likely to mimic them. Well, I, I think it's the whole. Yeah. Yeah. Like I have to agree with that. I mean, I, I've. I'm trying to think of his name. The rabbi at Anchi Emmett in Chicago. I heard him talk about this. Michael Siegel. Michael Siegel, right? He wanted to gut his sanctuary. I don't know if he ever found the money to do it. And he, he brought out pictures of Sinai as he understood it, with the way it was set up, with people around the mountain. And I guess that's somewhat of a traditional Sephardi design for prayer. Mm-hmm. But it's, again, we have a very Protestant design for prayer, using a classic auditorium setting with an elevated bima at the front of the room. So, 
Yeah, I don't know who's first, so you guys, I, I gotta get going. Just one more comment that um, uh, declining Hebrew literacy yeah. is a huge issue. Huge. Right, so, and that goes back to what we were mentioning right. before, right? So, it, you know, does this, it, are people, are, does this presuppose that, uh, that the reason people are quiet is because they know what they should be saying and they know what they should be doing, but they, but they feel compelled to sit quietly, you know, with, with, uh, with the book in front of them in the back street, or, is, or are they doing that because they really don't know what else to do, right? Because the prayers are in Hebrew, they don't know Hebrew, um, that they've never, you know, that even if they've been to services, you know, many times, they don't really know what the rhythms are, what's going Going on without the direction or instruction, right? So uh, yeah, so I think you know, so that's I think a real challenge of this model is can you have noise if people don't know what noise to make? Yeah. Well, just one general thought. And this is <coughs> a task for, for the rabbis and the religious leaders in the canter as to how to structure this. What my whole experience has taught me my entire life is that people respond to energy. Energy is a magnet. If if there is energy going on, if energy is emanating from some source. People respond to that. It is a magnet. Now, how you integrate that, I don't have the faintest clue. But, but that's something I've really noticed. Okay. Uh, yeah. I want to add to that. I think what we're missing here is that there's another component of the service, which is the sum total of the atmosphere. Uh, this morning, that component was the responsiveness of the people who were there. And the example, I'm getting two examples, I think, of that. Um, <clears throat> during the high holidays, there are times when you're talking now three or 4,000 people in a room. So you have another element, and that's the element I think we're missing from this whole discussion, which is that there's a certain atmosphere. And in contrast, the atmosphere, for example, when we have the children leaving from services, and we have a thousand people walking out the door. Now, at that point, whether you like it or not, if you are leading services, you've got to stop and wait. Mm. And if you don't, you lose the whole dignity and the whole sense. But the, 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 it's what he's trying to say here, Lou's trying to say here, that there's a... An, the, the, the trick for the leadership is to get that component into motion. If you can get that component into motion, you're, you're off and running, because it'll carry everybody along with it. Yeah. Well, I was just going to add, parenthetically, you mentioned uh, Bob Dylan, that uh, part of his uh, musical uh, you know, background, while he didn't go to Camp Ramah in Wisconsin, he did where I went. He also, he did go to Camp Herzl in Wisconsin, where I also went. So, and that was part of his Jewish musical start. Right, I mean, and uh, and and you know, that, and I think it's true about the the ethos of uh, of of the music, right? It's it's not uh, it's not high church music, right? It's uh, it's very much right. You can you know sing it along by the campfire, right? Uh, especially his early earlier stuff. Um, so uh, anyway, uh, that uh, uh, that's I think all the time, more than all the time we have. Uh, but I, I think that this is a, a worthy conversation to uh, to continue. I, I appreciate uh, Chancellor Eisen for uh, for sparking the uh, for sparking the discussion, and that I hope we can continue making noise about it. Have a great uh, day and shana tova.